tweets as of last weekend. She was talking about turning anchovy into a suckling pig restaurant because on um, Father's Day, T roasted off three suckling pigs over charcoal and wood, and so now she thinks she wants to run a suckling pig restaurant. Today on Dirty Linen, we continue to chat about the future, but chatting about the future also means talking about the present and the past. I am really happy to be checking in with JY Lee from Anchovy in Richmond, inner city Melbourne. JY, how are you going? Yeah, I'm very well, Danny. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I got up early this morning and made some pea and ham soup at Attica, giving it away to visa holders tomorrow. Um, and yeah, it always feels good to start the day by making a delicious soup. It's really, it's really sets you up for a good one. <laughs> um, so I'd love you to clue people into Anchovy if they haven't heard of the restaurant, if they haven't had the pleasure of going there. Can you tell people uh, what your restaurant is and does? Yeah, so Anchovy is a pretty small restaurant. Um, so in terms of footprint, you know, we're we're like 30, 35 seater restaurant and a small team. Um, we are on Bridge Road in Richmond. So the restaurant itself uh, focuses on sort of like mainland Southeast Asian flavors. So predominantly Vietnamese, just because that's T's um, heritage background. Um, we're five years old now. We celebrated our fifth birthday in the middle of uh, the first lockdown, which was fun. And um yeah, here we are today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great restaurant, really creative, and you've certainly applied your creativity to the current situation, all the, the changes, the bit of the whirlwind that it is. And I caught up with you uh, early on in the first lockdown, and you talked to me specifically about um, one of your visa holders and the process that you'd gone through supporting um, Georgina. Can you talk about, tell me about that story? Yeah, so um, I suppose taking a step back from that, oh, actually, where should I start? So, Yeah, where do we start with these stories? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, look, Anchovy, um, you know, just going back to how small a restaurant we are, we've always had a small team. Um, and with a small team, we find that one person does everything. So, you know, you kind of need to be jack of all trades to some degree. Um, so with that, um, people we sort of like have coming onto the team tend to be all-rounders. Um, and as a small venue, as a small business, I suppose when one person leaves, sometimes it's, you know, half the team leaves because there are only two of us on the team, for example, in, in the dining room team in, in this instance. Um, so T and I have always talked about this as a potentially a weakness of the business where when someone comes and goes, like how do you um, – how do you continue building a team? How do you continue building a business? Um, and so I think in maybe three or four years ago, uh, we started looking into um, sponsoring someone, uh, you know, visa sponsorships, just because we, as a business, we struggled to find people to even apply for a job um, with us. Uh, 
and that was a bit of a struggle. So I remember there was one point we were just constantly putting up ads online, looking for chefs, looking for people for the dining room team, looking for someone, anyone. Um, so we kind of almost started the process three to four years ago um, when we got ourselves into, I think, a business sponsorship role. So it started from there. And in that time, like, we've sort of considered sponsoring people um, that might not have gone through. And most of the times um, it's about sponsoring a chef um, because oftentimes we find that there is a skill shortage um, just a shortage in general, like you can't find anyone to apply for a job. And when they do apply for a job, sometimes their skills don't necessarily fit the mold. So at Anchovy, we do a lot of whole animal butchery, for example. Um, so T learned that skill herself just by, you know, just I suppose by virtue of her being the owner of a restaurant and head chef that she had the luxury to some degree of getting whole animal and then breaking it down and learning how to do it by herself. Um, and so, yeah, um, I think over time we realized as a small business, there were certain skill gaps that we needed to fill. Um, and I suppose fast forward to earlier this year, our team in the kitchen was changing slightly and that someone, um, had to go, had to go back home to, uh, one of our chefs had to go back home. And um, so we, at the run about the same time, we put out a job ad. And so Georgina uh, was one of the applicants um, at the time. And the ad at the time was quite specific. So we needed um, someone who, we needed a chef who had experience in the industry um, at a specific level um, who was familiar with whole animal butchery. And I suppose why whole animal butchery was so important to us as a small business is because ye, as a small business, we can't necessarily always afford to get specific cuts in. And it's actually just cheaper to get a whole animal and break it down yourself. Um, and it also gives us the flexibility to work with a lot of small farmers who generally send their animals in whole. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we put an ad up. Uh, there were many, many applicants. Um, not all of them qualified for the role. And Georgina was one of the ones who was actually the only one who qualified for that role. Um, and so, yeah, we, we hired her. Uh, which was great. And we did not hire with the intention of ever sponsoring her necessarily, but it was part of the conversation because um, we knew she was coming to the end of her working holiday visa. So she's from the UK and she'd been in Australia for almost two years by then. Um, and so I think part of it was that she was also looking for a workplace who could sponsor her. And um, so, yeah, we hired her and about nine days later, I think the lockdown was announced. <laughs> and then... Um, Great timing. Yeah we, <laughs> yeah, we went into it. 
And I actually remember the com- uh, conversation um, T and I were having with the team at the time. Like, you know, our, our whole team at that very point in time was a team of, what's the European Union, basically. So in the dining room with me was um, a lady from the UK. And then we had um, someone from Italy, someone from France, and someone, a chef from the UK, Georgina. So, yeah, we had the European Union sitting in front of us, T and I, and we were like, we know that, um, we know that, I suppose the conversation with the team we had was that, you know, things are quite uncertain. And this was actually, this was just a bit before the lockdown was announced. And I think Georgina had just joined the team. um, So like three or four days in. Um, And I remember we were sitting up a staff meal and we were actually discussing the whole shortage of pasta sort of like panic buying thing and what we would do as a business and the conversation then was that we would and we would as you know business owners do whatever we could to keep the business going and I remember looking around the table and Regina looked like she was about to be sick because I think running through I don't know what 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 I thought might have been the situation was you know I suppose she was maybe worried about her own future with the business. And I remember then I made the comments like, you know, like we, uh, and I made the comment in, to everyone at the time, like, you know, we want this to work so that everyone can keep their jobs. And for example, we can continue the sponsorship with Georgina. And so I felt like, well, okay, I've said that. So we kind of need to go ahead with it and which, which, which we did. And um, grateful that we did because yeah it's turned out to be um really good so yeah it was quite an interesting process the going into lockdown (laughs) (laughs) well sponsoring someone is a big commitment for it's it's a big commitment for a restaurant especially a small business like yourself and I remember you saying to me that you got the or the the ten thousand dollar Victorian government grant was promised early on in lockdown and you pretty much devoted that whole amount to the um, to the various fees and charges associated with um, putting through her sponsorship. So it was a, a pretty amazing commitment to show to a young chef who'd only been with you for a short time. Um, it's interesting that you had all these people apply for the job and, like, they weren't qualified. And in terms of the butchery, like, what kinds of things did people – think that it meant when they when you know because obviously they would have read it and it says oh it says I have to be able to butcher whole animals but then they put they're not qualified to do that so what did they think butchery actually consisted of um uh for I mean I don't interview the chefs he interviews the chefs but from some of the conversations I've heard it's like being able to portion meat so you know you can portion meat to 100 gram portions for example that's not really butchery in how anchovy does it yeah you know, how we do it is we get, I mean, I'm not a chef, so I can't really go into big detail of it, but, you know, you actually get a whole pig in or you get a whole lamb in and you just break the whole animal down into different cuts so that someone like me, I can sell it on in the dining room to my guests. So, you know, yeah, breaking down a whole lamb or a whole pig is somewhat different to portioning scotch fillet into... 100 gram portions yeah absolutely 
And I think as, as well as being an economical way to deal with meat in a business, it's also so interesting. So I know that, you know, I was there when tea broke down at dark and then, you know, the duck goes to to this dish and that dish and then there's the ducks, there's the sauce, it goes into the sausage as well. And, you know, it's just, it, it makes it, I mean, it's a big part of the the food adventure at anchovy as well, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I think that's one thing that tea holds quite close to herself is, I suppose, coming in from, w- with her family background, her mom breaks down whole animals because I think, and this potentially goes back somewhat into Asian culture, you know, whole animals are fresh animals. You don't eat that animal unless you break it down, you kill it and break it down that day. Um, like I remember one of the first times I met T's mum, she broke down a whole chicken for dinner, like, you know, killed it, bled it, plucked it, cooked it for soup. Right. right? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think um, yeah, that's definitely a it. It's part of the skill. I think for tea, it's a very big part of upskilling a chef that you you know one one cut to the next cut. Um, you know the anatomy of an animal, um, and as a business owner, I suppose that it really is how can I maximize coins I have you know how do I maximize what little profit margin I have from running a restaurant and that's one of the ways to do it well let's talk about that because obviously your business has been really restricted as everybody's has uh, and you decided very early on that you're going to keep it going and and keep your staff employed what kind of innovations did you uh, did you make through like yeah, the early stages of the first lockdown and and, and as things have gone on yeah, look, we've anchovies gone from being sort of um, a restaurant that focused on, a lot on Vietnamese flavors, which was what we were pre-COVID, to we went into um, being a Laotian takeaway joint. We started selling bun mi's through our uh, shopfront window. We, what else have we done? We've done sort of like teas now going through a um, premium seafood bend where she's just finding whatever premium seafood she can and just cooking it. And uh, yes, as of last weekend, she was talking about turning anchovy into a suckling pig restaurant because on um, Father's Day, um, yeah, on Father's Day, T roasted off three suckling pigs over charcoal and wood. And so now she thinks she wants to run a suckling pig restaurant. Wow. (laughs) Anchovy's been through (laughs) Anchovy's been through a few different iterations and, you know, I think we were talking about that the other day and it's, I don't think any of this has been planned. We didn't necessarily plan to do this or do that. Everything, I think some of the opportunities just happen to present themselves um, and other things like, like T's always talked about what, wanting to cook Laotian food and I used to tease her a lot you know pre-COVID that if she looked at her food she wasn't cooking Vietnamese food she was cooking Laotian food masquerading as Vietnamese food because all the dishes were Laotian you know Laotian flavors um and so we did that and you know in the last 
tease a serial um she loves looking through real estate commercial real estate and every time she looks through it, she's like oh what do you think we can do with this space or what do you think we can do with that space so one of her dreams has also always to run like she's always wanted to run a sandwich shop a bunny shop we've looked up pieces of real estate and she's like you know i remember we've gone as far as almost writing up a business plan to sell sandwiches and when coronavirus hit that was one of the things t pounced on because bridge road became really really quiet so bridge road is the main thoroughfare so you get so many cars coming through you get trams coming through you get people from all walks coming through and yeah in the first lockdown it became really really quiet to the point t said if we don't do something fun and exciting it's like as if anchovy might just fade into oblivion because the whole street was so quiet there was no one around so in t's head she wanted a loud fun sort of she she saw she pitched the idea to me she was like imagine if you're walking past the street and if you're walking past and suddenly you get like crazy vietnamese music playing and you smell smoke and you hear all these sounds like you just imagine you're in asia but on bridge road so that was how she sold the whole sandwich shop idea to me and so yeah um it's part of it was innovation and part of it i think it's really tea finding the opportunity to do things like this and just like you know the whole premium seafood thing tea's always always and i've kind of always wanted to talk her out of it but she's always wanted to install fish tanks and add like on site an anchovy just so people people can pick their own premium lobsters or crabs or fish for her to kill and cook on site and i think this this has just given her the opportunity to do that so one of the things t said to to gina last week and it really got me thinking was that she said we are really as a business as anchovy as a restaurant we are extremely lucky at the moment because our customers are paying us to experiment to learn last week alone at anchovy we sold 13 lobsters two snow crabs and three suckling pigs wow and she said <laughs> to the team we like no at no point ever will we ever get this opportunity again and so i think for us it's about learning and it's about doing what we can with whatever opportunity you're presented with so you know not be sad about it but let's see what we can do with what's in front of us it's so interesting yeah uh, let's just track back a little bit for people who aren't familiar with laotian food can you just uh, give us a little primer yeah so um laotian food for me it's sort of like the funkier spicier fresher version of Vietnamese food. So Laos is quite a landlocked country. Well, not quite. It is a landlocked country. So you get um, lots of river fish, river prawns, river crabs, all of which is fermented and used in the cooking. Um, so the food's quite pungent. Um, they love their chili, so it's extremely spicy. And they use lots and lots of herbs. So that's where the freshness comes in. 
Um, and so, yeah, I think tea's palate lends itself to that. She grew up eating a lot of Laotian food, so she tea grew up um, in the western suburbs of Sydney and um, always ate Laotian food as, um, you know, when mum didn't feel like cooking, ate Laotian food. So she grew up with Laotian food and Laotian flavours. And there's quite a large Laotian community out in Fairfield in Sydney. So I think that's where sort of like that comes from. Some of the key dishes um, that tea's familiar with, more familiar with, includes um, like papaya salad, which you find, for example, in Thai cuisine. But Laotian papaya salad is infinitely more spicy and infinitely more pungent because of um, the fermented river crabs used. Uh, you get things like um, raw beef salad. You get uh, duck larbs or fish larbs, for example. So it's quite, I think, the dishes itself um, you would find in any mainland Southeast Asian restaurant. It's just the intensity of flavor and palate that's that varies. Yeah. Mm, yum. You're making me so hungry. Um, JY, what, what's what's your food background? Mine. So I'm um, Chinese, I'm Chinese heritage. I'm from Brunei, so a bit of a mishmash. So, and I suppose that's where I draw the distinction in Southeast Asian flavor. So for me, tea is mainland Southeast Asia, whereas my background on my palate is probably um, more of the islands of Southeast Asia so Brunei, Malaysia, Singapore Indonesia okay that's sort of like yeah um, so how did you make tea um, we met uh, like we we met outside of the hospitality industry we met through a mutual friend um, so I wasn't in hospitality back then. I was actually working in research. So and um yeah, no, a lot of tea and I enjoyed hanging out with her because I liked eating and I still do and I actually just wanted someone who could go to restaurants with me to eat. <laughs> that that's how we met. <laughs> yeah, great. I I love hearing the way Yeah. I love hearing the way that you guys like plan things and bounce ideas off each other. It, it sounds like you're the one that you're a, a bit of a, a gatekeeper, like trying to trying to rein in some of T's ama like amazing and crazy ideas. Um, but I wonder if there's going to be a fish tank in um, anchovy at the end of all this, or perhaps it's I don't know, or is it all going to be suckling pigs? Is it going to be pigs on one side and tanks on the other? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one one of the things that makes us work well together is that T has so much energy and just she she wakes up thinking about things and I can't keep up she has so much energy in her and I am incredibly risk averse I'm incredibly risk averse so um, I will always think of the downsides of something you know some some would say I'm almost too pessimistic for this so T's the optimist in a relationship I'm the pessimist in the relationship and I think um yeah like I think that's worked that's worked quite well but yeah yeah well I mean to get to five years in a in a small restaurant and to still be feeling very positive about the future during a pandemic I think it just definitely says that you've got got the balance right in terms of those different energies flowing through 
your business. I remember when I spoke to to Georgina um, for an article that I did about visa holders back in April and she talked about, you know, she seems like such an incredible young chef, like so desperate to learn and just really excited about soaking up everything that she could at Anchovy. You know, she didn't have any familiarity with Asian flavours, but she was just really just so thrilled to have that opportunity and she definitely sees herself as a future restaurateur I think what an amazing experience for her as a young chef to be with you guys during this dreadful year and and watch you being so innovative and nimble and to see it as an opportunity I mean she I I I feel like I need we need to get her on the show as well just to see how she's going with all this yeah no I think it's great one of the things that I love absolutely love about Georgina is that she she kind of just goes along with the flow I think that's one of the hardest things about working in a small business especially in a small business where you know both your bosses might be very might come from very different perspectives is that she just says yes and goes along with anything and everything we throw at her um she's incredibly open to everything and she kind of just like questions everything and does her own research on everything and forms an opinion on everything forms an informed opinion on everything and i think as a small business that's what is important to us. Um, I mean, you don't necessarily want someone who just says yes and rules over, but you don't want someone who, um, what's the word, sort of like who argues with you or talks back to you every step of the way, but you want someone who can offer an alternative perspective, an alternative opinion, a constructive opinion to a conversation. So that's, I think that's what, made her such a valuable addition to the team Mm. yeah yeah I mean we've talked on this podcast to people who have businesses of all different sizes you know people with multiple venues um you know across multiple states for example and people um with much smaller businesses I mean what do you think are some of the advantages and disadvantages of running a small restaurant uh, as, as as you do um, I think one of the, I think the most glaring advantage that we've had as anchovy is that while our whole, also our whole team doesn't qualify for JobKeeper, for example, so only T and I qualify for JobKeeper, but that, uh, I mean, it, the, our team's small enough that we are able to control it and just, you know, give give them the opportunities or whatever it is that we can to help them out through whatever this thing is um as opposed to say a larger business with 20 30 40 50 staff members like we're lucky that we've got a team of four of which t and i make up two um i think as a small business we are in a position to be a lot more flexible um and just you know like you see at, at least we've seen it through the lockdown in the first lockdown we could switch overnight and become a Laotian restaurant and then we became a sandwich shop and the lockdown got lifted and the second lockdown came along and T and I decided it would be too much of a cop out to go back to Laotian and so did something different instead. Um so that gives us a lot of flexibility to do that. I think um 
one of the other things I've discussed a lot with T is that as a small business, we probably benefit a lot more from, say, um, the Victorian government like business grant, a ten thousand dollar grant. Like you know, at ten thousand dollars to us as a small business is a lot more than what ten thousand dollars means to a business that hires forty other people. Um, so we've been in a position to manage our costs a lot more. Yeah. So what do you think is going to be ahead for Melbourne restaurants, Melbourne restaurateurs and Melbourne diners? I mean, obviously we've got a longer lockdown than anybody. Else. It's, a, it's a, going to be a slow path out. And it's fantastic to hear you guys, you know, so um, – yeah, still innovating and still optimistic and and still using this um, unfortunate series of events as an opportunity to try new things out on your loyal customers. But do you think things are going to be really different on the other side of this? Um, look, I think I, yes and no. I, I couldn't tell you, to be honest. I think things will definitely have changed. It will never go back to what it was before. I think... T and I have come to terms with it and we've accepted it and we've moved on. So it's about looking at what what's there in the future. Like, you know, I mean, if, if you were to put it really crudely, what, what do you do when life hands you a shit sandwich? You just find a way to move on. And I think... That's what we have to do, I think, like to continue to think back to it could have been this, um, it could have been that, I think is a mentality that will drag us down. So, you know, and I suppose where we come from, where especially where I come from, T and I went through a stage in, you know, in the, the life of the business and our personal lives where, it was quite hard and we went through that stage of it's like, and this was going back two or three years ago and we thought, you know, well, if, if this has happened, we could we wouldn't be in this position or if that had happened, we wouldn't be in this position. We came to terms though at that point in time that that was the position we were in and um, we can't go back in the past. So how can we essentially dig ourselves out of this hole? Um, and I feel that's the mentality we've taken with us heading into coronavirus, which is it's it's it is what it is. You can't stop a virus, you can't stop something you can't see. So how do you get on and move on with it? And um yeah, like look, without being without getting too political, r- regardless of how this all pans out in the next two or three months and in the you know the short term the next two or three months in the next six to twelve to forty eight months you kind of need to roll with the punches um and just not not think about well this was what happened last Christmas so I wish this could happen this Christmas because it, it's just not going to be the case, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does that sort of answer the question? 
Definitely. I mean, I guess it's a, you're just looking forward. So you're building on, you're doing what's possible and you're looking forward and yeah, it's, you're, you're creating the future. Kind of. And I, like, I, I think about this a lot and I, I don't know whether it's directly um, comparable, but I feel like, you know, um, so like, I feel like, you know, yeah, 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 I'm Asian in sort of like quite an Anglo society. Um, you know, when I came to Australia back in 2004, the, the, the assimilation component was, I thought about it quite a lot, you know, you're, you're female in quite a um, patriarchal society, you're, you, you know, I mean, my relationship with tea is was two years ago to be determined by a postal vote like I feel like you go through stages in your life where you're like well okay all these things are sort of like you know out of your control but you've dealt with it so this is the same thing it's out of your control how are you going to deal with it the virus is out of your control how are you going to deal with it um the state government has made certain decisions which I mean personally I I know they're a bit harsh but I don't completely disagree with all of them so how do you deal with it um it's this you know it's just just looking at how you deal with things I suppose yeah well I guess it's also as you say it's looking at what it's controlling the things you can control and just accepting the things that you can't and uh yeah getting on with barbecuing some pigs in the meantime <laughs> JY it's um been such a pleasure to hear what you're up to and how you're thinking about things and I for one cannot wait to see what anchovy becomes and as it continues to innovate continues to deal with the circumstances and I'm sure continues to thrive but thank you so much for coming to have a chat today to Dirty Linen it's been an absolute pleasure that's all right. Thanks for um, having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>